We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the RotoWire NFL podcast brought to you by Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. We got a great show lined up today. Obviously, it is Thursday, August 15th. We got a ton of preseason games to get into tonight. We also have tons of job battles uh, to get into uh, throughout the show between Mario and I, and we will also uh, be getting into our NFFC drafts. Uh, I took part in the RotoWire Online Championship Wednesday night. With mixed results, so we're going to try to have Mario talk me off the ledge after that uh, rough showing there, maybe maybe make me feel a little bit better about it. We'll see how that goes. But before then, it's officially August, which means football season is around the corner, and Yahoo Fantasy has introduced a new fantasy football game called Best Ball that lets you get in the action now. With Best Ball, you draft your fantasy football team, and that's it. You don't need to do a thing once you've drafted your team. Each week, the top-scoring players at each position on your roster will automatically count towards your weekly score. Forget about the time commitment. No waiver wire, no trades, no adding or dropping players, no having to make those tough start-or-sit decisions. Focus on the best part of fantasy football, the draft. 
Tired of doing mock drafts for your fantasy team and, and having other players drop out early and not finish the draft? Free best ball leagues give you the most accurate ADP or average draft position of players before the season starts. Can't get enough fantasy football, but don't want to manage those teams all season? You can draft up to 50 best ball teams. Play for free or play for cash, but most importantly, get to drafting with Yahoo Fantasy Best Ball. Join a league today at yahoo.com slash best ball. Mario, welcome into the show. Um, before we, we get started, I have, I have a kind of a funny question for you because I had, I had a ridiculous thing happen to me in my apartment last night. Do you ever just sabotage yourself completely? Yeah, not really like apartment related sabotage though. So I'm, I'm wondering what you did exactly. So uh, after work, I, I popped by the grocery store to get some stuff for dinner. Um, and, you know, I was hungry too. So I wanted to grab some, some uh, snacks, grab some chips and salsa, um, grab some salsa from this brand that I really like. They're from Eau Claire. They make great stuff. Uh, I grabbed this one jar that I haven't had before called the hot mess and then i later on in the evening after the draft i'm i'm tearing into the chips and salsa and i take like one bite of this and within like five seconds i'm sweating and there are tears coming out of my eyes and i'm like losing my absolute mind And you were already crying yeah i was already crying and this just made it that much worse it was i was a hot mess after that and then i I read the label and it said it said that it had ghost peppers or ghost chilies and uh, some sort of other like maybe like the Carolina Reaper in there as well. So I didn't know what I was really getting myself into, but like basically I have like a an atomic jar of salsa in my apartment that it might just like burn a hole through my fridge by the time I get home today. Oh, you have to move it to the tub. That's how it works, right? If you put it in, uh, if you flush it down the toilet, it'll just like burn through the floor. And if you if you put it in the tub, it can sit there until you move out, and then you have to get like hazmat to move it out. I guess. Well, if, if Breaking Bad taught us anything, that that could be a, a trick. Right. I was trying to remember it. how it worked exactly. I don't know what they do after it's in the tub. Like what? It, or when? Oh no, it's not in it, it, No, we put it in the tub, but you got to put it in a garbage container. That's what it is. Don't put your. Uh, acid or uh, really hot salsa in the tub folks that's what jesse did wrong i'm just recalling yes so i'm gonna try to avoid that uh hopefully it hasn't uh leached through the the jar and, and you know just basically dropped through my kitchen onto the onto the people beneath me because yeah, always be tragic sh- always check your salsa to make sure there's no ghost pepper or carolina reaper yeah. or whatever the uh wichita <laughs> death cucumber whatever <laughs> they have in these things i don't know uh but yeah i i am not really a chips and salsa person that's it's mostly because i'm so uh like addiction prone with with chips that i i just eat the bag before i open the salsa and then i wonder what i bought the salsa for so uh, i would have just eaten the chips plain i always have chips plain uh french fries plain uh, I like sauces, but I, I just don't have the attention span to open them usually. Yeah, I mean, I'm you know this is I'm sure this is great salsa if you have like the Homer Simpson tolerance for for heat, but you know that we're talking five alarm salsa. But this isn't the Ned maybe Flanders it's made, two two and a half. Maybe it's just like a disinfectant or something, and you misunderstood. Very I possible. Know. I think those aisles are pretty close to each other at the local grocery store. So, well, um, made that mistake. Yeah, I hope you didn't have like layered nightmares of both like reliving the draft and also like burning alive as you did it or whatever. <laughs> oh, that's that's tonight. That'll happen uh, this evening. Usually, those are a little bit more delayed onset for me. Um, but let's get into some football uh, discussion um, that probably fills our our salsa quota at least for this week. Um, but. 
Before we get into some of these job battles and some of the uh, things going on for tonight and and this week's preseason, I think that looking at at the draft last night and and how it conflates with the recent news makes sense here. Andrew Luck dropped to the 10th round in my NFFC draft. I think the the panic is real, and I think that that helps confirm it. And I'm in on the panic. I, you know, I, I went ahead and I took Baker Mayfield early on. Um, so I didn't have to worry about the, that specific tier of quarterbacks. But I mean, the, the guy that got him also got the last pick of the ninth round. So he went ahead and get got Cam Newton and then he piggybacked him with it with Andrew Luck. But if if you're in a situation where, where you're taking Andrew Luck as your quarterback one, like you, you're definitely uh, kind of scared right right now i think that these are not great reports that, that are coming out out right. of indianapolis so i mean what's sort of your take on, on that uh right now i don't know how clear-eyed i can get about this because i already have a lot of shares of not luck specifically i mean i have enough more than i'd like to but i have a lot invested in ty hilton devin funchess Dion kane so i'm kind of sick about the whole thing like i know he even if he misses time maybe it won't be that long but it really seems like the colts have no idea what's going on like if they don't if they again yeah if they're not deliberately planting misinformation out there it seems like they just don't really have a clue and uh, not just that they don't have a clue but that they spent however long it's been since uh, may or whatever it's like they spent the last three months just not trying to figure out if there was anything going on like i don't understand how doctors team doctors can especially with a player like luck like look at his leg and just kind of not find anything and then it seems like they kind of just went and looked again recently because nothing was getting better and they're like oh wait oh dude look and it's like how did you not spot that the first time i really don't understand this redskins method yeah it's like i think i think washington's method is like uh the guy says like the guy shows up with his leg you know at a right angle and he's like is something wrong with my leg and they go no and they they just like try to cover it up if if he keeps like telling people about it you know his leg they they uh i don't know maybe lock him in a basement for a while i'm not sure but the the colts it's like they just don't even look apparently at least in the case of their franchise quarterback they don't look maybe they inspect other injuries but when luck is like oh my my foot won't work they just go like well that's fine who cares it's just your foot stupid go away you don't throw your foot yeah it's like yeah so uh i don't know i don't don't, maybe maybe they're just kind of messing with us i mean that might be optimistic because i i don't i don't know it it, the the shoulder thing ended up working out okay in a sense but it still took like two years for it to get right and it's a little different with that because it was like they denied the injury as he was playing through it whereas with this they're kind of like at least they seem ostensibly cautious with it, even if they still screwed up the attempted precaution. I don't know, but I'm off of luck. I haven't had any drafts where I was uh, on the clock and having to decide whether I wanted to take him. Like he's slipping in everything that I've seen since this uh, d- situation deteriorated. But I haven't been on the clock where I'm like, ooh, is this where I is this where I pull the trigger? So I don't know where it would be. Like I notice. By the way, do you have your league pulled up in the NFFC? I do. Okay, can you see? Does it list the name of the team that picked first, like the person's first name? Not the first name, no. Ah, oh, to protect the innocent. 
Uh, you mean like our podcast rules or the site? Uh, I think just the site, yeah. I feel like if you click on their team, it'll show their first name. Don't read I the... Just ha- I just have the, uh, the picture, the oh, screenshot okay. that I took. Because, yeah, their name... They, they might be like basically a pro. I can't tell. It, it just says their last name. But anyway, um, this person who had the first pick ended up taking luck in your NFFC draft with Cam Newton being the pick before it. So yeah, they had the double first time. pick overall, and then they went back-to-back ninth, tenth round with Newton and Luck. And if you have Cam already, then, I mean, I guess it's easier to rationalize the risk in that case. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't... I don't know. It's I guess it's more in my nature to just go after guys like uh, Cam Newton and then probably like Lamar Jackson a few rounds later rather than uh, Luck and, and Cam back-to-back. But, I mean, if Luck plays, that'll be a really nice matchup uh, playing situation there. Yeah, because they don't have the same bye week. So uh, that, that could work out really well for him. But um, I, th- I think kind of like that, that overarching point that, that you were kind of alluding to there – Luck as your QB one is a totally different conversation than, than getting him in the tenth round or later as as your QB two. Yeah, and in, in, in this case too, they were able to draft. Uh, let's see, four running backs and four receivers before they took either quarterback. So uh, if you're if you're taking luck at the expense of your plausible starting, you know, flex running back or receiver personnel, that's also a different question. Yeah, definitely. So a uh, lot of concern. Uh, there all right let's get into uh, some of the some of your analysis on the best ball markets uh, now after this past week we've seen a pretty significant surge here uh, from Chris Carson so last night for for instance I went ahead and, and took running backs with my first two picks so I wasn't really going after this specific tier of running backs but with with Carson in the fourth round we saw Montgomery go first in the fourth round and then Josh Jacobs Mark Ingram Derek Henry Marlon Mack all went in the fourth round and then a little bit later Carson Carson, uh, we saw his name get get called in the with the tenth pick uh, there in the fourth round. So he he is definitely moving up the boards. And I mean, how legit do you think it is? Well, I think my bigger uh, my broader understanding of the NFC West this year is important for like background information because it's not just that uh you know seattle runs a lot and that they ran a lot specifically with carson last year and that carson specifically did well it's that their their offense uh was implausibly run heavy like i don't think they could repeat that level of run heaviness two years in a row even if everything were set up for them to act on that impulse and that is schottenheimer's first impulse of course but russell wilson threw 427 passes last year and I think like 450 is almost the minimum this year. I don't understand how they could run uh, whatever that is, like 29 pass attempts per game two years in a row. And there's a few reasons I think that won't happen, or at least there's – no, we'll say few. Uh, one is that the Seahawks traded Frank Clark. They lost Earl Thomas, Jaron Reed, probably their second best remaining defender. Uh, he suspended six games or whatever. And – the defense wasn't great even when those guys were there. So I think the Seattle defense might go from, you know, average, slightly above average to actually below average, in which case they would fall behind more often and earlier in games would they do, in which case they would have to throw the ball more than they did last year. Because even in the fourth quarter in losing games, Schottenheimer would cut Wilson loose. Like he had, Wilson had some stupid percentage of his pass attempts in the fourth quarter last year, just because it's like he'd go into the fourth quarter with like 12 attempts finish with 30 and it was usually because uh he threw like nine each on the last two drives or something like that um so 
I think that is evidence that the script can be changed, and if if you basically put them uh, under in the scoreboard and ideally early as possible in a game, they'll have to throw it just like anybody else. Like they can only run it as much as they did last year when they control the tempo and the flow of the game, which you can't if you have a defense as bad as it might be. As as much as I think, anyway, it might be. And it's not just that the defense looks like it'll regress. It's like Jimmy Garoppolo is back. That should make the 49ers offense better, excuse me, at dictating the tempo in a game. Cliff Kingsbury arriving in himself is is another reason to think the same will apply with Arizona, but I think Kyler Murray specifically is is a part of that. Cliff Kingsbury raising the whole divisional tempo and uh, scoring potential. So I think that Seattle should throw more than they did last year, and if the running backs maintain a similar share of the targets as last year, then if if I'm remembering right, Penny and Carson might be splitting something like 80 targets this year, and you'd probably guess 45, 50 of those go to Carson in that case. And in his two seasons, uh, I think it's 27 of 32 pass targets that Carson's seen. He He's caught those at about 6.9 yards per target. So that's really good. Like People think Theo Riddick's such a great pass catcher. He's doing 6.1 yards per target on something like 77.5% catch rate for his career. Um, again small sample for Carson but like he looks like he's good at it and they should see if he can do more and it makes sense to have him or Penny on the field rather than like JD McKissick or Procise or whatever like it doesn't make sense to designate a a passing specialist at running back if Carson can keep doing what he's done so far so Mm -hmm. if he can get up to like 40 catches and he maintains a vaguely similar carry pace to last year Carson has a ceiling of something like 280 rush attempts and 40 catches which just isn't the case for anybody else in his range of the ADP right now. Okay, so looking at guys like Marlon Mack, Derrick Henry, even Mark Ingram, and and then, of course, uh, Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, do you feel like Carson has kind of risen to the point where he's that running back that that you're getting in that specific tier? Yeah, I have him easily ahead of all of those guys. In standard scoring, I might have Henry at the front of it, but NFFC scoring is PPR, so... Uh, in in your draft here, David Montgomery was the first pick of the fourth round. Jacobs two picks later, then Ingram two picks later before uh, Henry and Marlon Mack in succession. There, I would have taken Carson before any of them, and I noticed that uh, Carson went three picks after Marlon Mack did. So he went after all those guys. I'm pretty skeptical that that will happen very often within a week or two. I think this is still in the phase where people haven't recalibrated their projections yet. And uh, yeah, I mean, whatever Montgomery, he can catch the ball and Jacobs can catch the ball, but Carson can catch the ball probably as good as that. Maybe not as good as Jacobs, but uh, the hands anyway are good. And so he'll catch a lot of the targets that he does get. If he gets, if he gets to 40 catches, that's uh, basically like twice as many as he had last year. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the last or the player above these guys in the ADP who comes closest to Carson's usage upside, probably Fournette. Uh, he's obviously got his injury concerns himself. So I think after Carson, I don't, I don't know. It's it, like Henry won't catch many passes. I don't, I'm kind of skeptical that Ingram will, but I don't think Jacobs is going to do that much. Montgomery. I'm obviously lower on than most people. It's like for me, if I don't get Carson in that fourth round, uh, I might not get another running back until something like Lindsey, Philip Lindsey in the fifth, uh, Rashad Penny in the sixth or seventh. And, you know, I guess I should mention as much as I'm increasing the projection for Carson, I don't think 
this needs to be at the expense of Penny. I think it more would be at the expense of maybe in past years, kind of like the tight end usage and especially players like McKissick. Uh, Cause those guys sat out last year. It was just Mike Davis, uh, Penny and Carson. I think they might as well give basically all of the work that those three split between just Carson and Penny this year. Uh, especially if they think Carson can catch passes. Cause it's like, what is McKissick in, in pro is even going to do if they're not out there matching or exceeding Carson as a pass catcher? So um, I like Penny even I still like Penny, even though I'm upgrading Carson quite a bit. OK. And, you know, throughout this discussion and, you know, I, I feel like that this specific tier of running backs is stabilizing and it's a really interesting tier. And I think that there's some landmines in here. Yeah. Um, what do we make of Josh Jacobs? I know I know this is like a little bit off script and, and you didn't write about him specifically this week, but I feel like for a guy that's been a, there was a first round running back on a team that gets the attention that the Raiders do. It's been complete radio silence. Like I haven't heard anything about Josh Jacobs. Well, does that concern you? I mean, like maybe it shouldn't, you know, like obviously we, we take beat writers, little scouting from the time that they see the, the practice with it, with a grain of salt, of course. But I mean, it's, for the lack of buzz that he's getting, I think it's like a little bit weird at this point. It's mid-August. Yeah, I don't know what to make of it. It's it's tough for me to make like a sober assessment of it because I just hated the pick the whole time. And I think Jacobs has some promising traits, but he strikes me as a very average kind of... If, if he does emerge as a starter in the NFL, he strikes me as a very average sort of talent because he was explosive at Alabama, sure, but... He didn't do it over much of a of sample size at all. Like he he finished his career with uh, let's see, like about 250 carries, and he was very efficient and explosive as a receiver. But even so, that's still only 59 targets that we're basing it on. Like just a few big runs after the catch against some crap second half defense can buoy numbers like that. Sure. So. When he had the terrible pro day numbers, and I guess I shouldn't say t- terrible, but as far as a first round prospect with his kind of production, his pro day was inexcusable. Like, there's no way to justify based on any precedent Josh Jacobs as a first round pick. But them selecting him as a first round pick, you know, the, that's usually such currency for a prospect as far as projecting their opportunity level. It was like, yeah, we have to put him on the fantasy map uh, because he has workhorse upside in the sense that the Raiders have every reason to justify him as a pick by making a workhorse out of him and yeah you would like to hear just kind of like some rah-rah he's our guy stuff by now because it's instead been some praise for Doug Martin trickling out so if Doug Martin's matching you right now it's in some sense it would be reasonable because uh, Josh Jacobs is just 21 he turned 21 in February so he's young um by by any measure and in one sense that's like it's good for his potential perhaps but it also means he's more likely to be vulnerable right now to a veteran who knows what he's doing so jacobs is probably not going to end up on a whole lot of my teams i don't even know where i'm going to pick him because it's just one of those cases right now where he's always gone way before it even vaguely crosses my mind so uh like i said i would definitely take carson over him Carson had been going in the fifth, sometimes sixth before. Maybe I would be able to come up with a, a better Jacobs opinion at that point. But in the meantime, I'm just kind of inclined to ignore him for the most part. Yeah, I've, I have one Jacobs share to this point in draft season. I got him in the XM host draft last week. I felt okay about it, especially like where my team was. And I think I, 
my third and fourth picks were like Diggs and Jacobs. So I felt good about that pairing overall. And I think that was standard scoring anyway. But I, fe- I just feel like it's just bottom line here. You know, if, noth- if nothing else take away, it's just strange to me how radio silent a first round pick at a skill position, at a fantasy relevant position, a guy that's going inside the top 50 like Josh Jacobs. There's just been absolutely crickets. I think it's weird. And I think it's weird that they haven't even shown him on hard knocks either. Yeah, for what it's worth, they listed him as the second running back on the depth chart ahead of Jalen Richard, but behind Doug Martin. I don't know what we can take away from that. I feel like they're going to have to give Richard like 400 snaps this year just because they're going to be terrible and they're going to be playing catch up a lot and he might be their I don't know second best receiving threat anyway but uh yeah he's got only Doug Martin in his way and it seems like he hasn't pushed him aside yet which is pretty concerning I guess there you go so so if nothing else take that away um let's get to another rookie who's going to be challenging a veteran although a, a better veteran um but We'll, we'll see how this goes, but let's get into Philadelphia's backfield a little bit because you mentioned in your article that, that Sanders has, has had a very like kind of yo-yo ADP throughout this whole yeah. thing where he after he got drafted, it, the market was sky high on him, and then it, it you know kind of corrected itself, put him uh, back down closer to the to the 80s, I want to say, and now it's it's it sees itself not necessarily creeping back up, but you know thoroughly surging uh, back up in, in in an upward trajectory there. So. What's your take on on this Philadelphia backfield as it stands right now? I am much lower on Miles Sanders than most people. I have to make that clear. There are some people, including a lot of smart people, who are taking him in places like the sixth round, the seventh round, certainly. I don't understand how anyone can project him to be higher than Jordan Howard, especially for opportunity. Like It's one thing to project more explosiveness from Sanders, but... There's no evidence that he's going to do a whole lot as a pass catcher, both because Corey Clement and Darren Sproles are already there, and they've both been very good at it already in a system that they know fully, but because Sanders never did anything as a pass catcher at Penn State. Now, it might be that all of his targets were just garbage targets where it's like he was kind of a lose-lose for him. I don't know if it's like, you know, a lot of those targets, a disproportionate number, were kind of just like hanging him out to dry as the quarterback's basically just trying to avoid intentional grounding and maybe he couldn't do anything with them but his numbers as a pass catcher were putrid like they basically don't exist he didn't do anything as a pass catcher and if we can't have an upside avenue through pass catching work then we need him to really like decisively win as the lead runner because there's just the the pass catching isn't an avenue to raise or to widen his margin of error so he he cannot lose as a runner at least at his current price I basically give Jordan Howard and Miles Sanders the same projection and Howard goes in the ninth, 10th round Sanders going in like the sixth, seventh, like I said before. And he initially fell into that kind of ninth, 10th round range along with Howard after Deuce Staley said back in early mid June, we're going to run a running back committee like we have in all the previous years under Doug Peterson. So people reacted to that. And I think a sensible way, you know, reacting as if, uh, oh yeah, maybe it wouldn't be wild if they kept doing what they've been doing for about a half decade now. That was kind of what I've figured all along, but we're getting all these reports from Philadelphia area beat writers saying, oh, Miles Sanders just looks like the best running back. And I know that we have to work with just the information we have. Like we can't we have to we have to believe that these that these beat writers know something and take the reporting seriously. 
but I really question how anyone would quantify good in this case. Like, what do you mean? They're not running like really brutally, uh, like realistic live tackling. It's like in a setting like this, they're trying to avoid injury. They're trying to get people to learn the playbook. They're trying to get reps to just like evaluate people. They're not, this is not analogous to a real game. And then if it's not analogous to a real game and there's not kind of like the contact of a real game, you're going to just think whoever's the fastest and quickest looks the best because that's all you can see really. Mm -hmm. And Miles Sanders, of course, is faster and quicker than Jordan Howard. Never meant to dispute that, but I will dispute the idea that he's a lock to be a better runner than him. I just don't see how anyone can know that. So if the market is reacting as if this is proof that Sanders is a better runner, I think it's a trap. I, yeah, I think so too. And I think another sticking point that, that is really important in your article is just the, the draft day price. Like if these guys are, are you know, may, maybe the most realistic scenarios, they end up seeing a very even or close to it split in the workload. And again, these guys might not either, either of them be ticketed for much in the way of passing down work. We know that with Jordan Howard, we're assuming that with, with Sanders based on some evidence there, but the draft day cost is just so like the gulf between them is so wide. I was happy to take Jordan Howard in the ninth rather than go ahead and, and reach for a guy like Sanders uh, in that draft last night. Yeah, I think you can justify taking either of them sooner in best ball because like I believe Miles Sanders will have some good games this year. I don't think anyone will have a good idea unless Howard is hurt. I don't think anyone will have a good idea of when they happen before they happen. And the same thing with Jordan Howard. Like, I don't think I'll be able to guess. I couldn't last year with Chicago guess ahead of time when he would have his good games or his bad ones. You would think it would just be, oh, well, if they're favored and they're they're controlling the game script, that's good for him. And it's like, yeah, you'd, you'd rather have that than the opposite, but it doesn't assure anything. Uh, it doesn't assure something as volatile as touchdown opportunities. So in best ball, I can see chasing either one of them a little bit earlier, but yeah, you're not getting any sort of discount on Sanders for what I think is a substantial amount of objective risk. Like there's no risk baked into his price. He's going, I think at a price pretty much higher than his, his highest upside scenario. Like, I don't know, even if Jordan Howard tore his ACL tomorrow, I don't think we could take it for granted that the Eagles wouldn't just pick up someone else and give them like 15 snaps a game, something like that something like that could amount to six to eight carries and a couple targets. That's the kind of margin of error that Sanders can't even afford at his current price. So uh, I don't know. It, it's like, would you, where would you take a Jai based on where he was going, how things were going with him in Philadelphia if he had never gotten hurt? Like I know some people are saying, oh, well, he started to get more carries as things went along. And it's like, yeah, you would guess he would get more carries in competitive situations and, you know, they got to the playoffs. So why wouldn't he get more carries then than, 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 uh, you know, six weeks before that, whatever, that's, that's something I guess, but they usually rotate three running backs pretty evenly. Yes. And I just, I don't see how you could expect even in a best case scenario, the Philadelphia backfield to put forth more than maybe like a top 18 runner. And I don't even know where Sanders goes in the running back order. I guess, uh, John, if you have any thoughts, I'm going to start counting one by one these green squares. <laughs> no, you, yeah, you go ahead. Go ahead and, and count them up. But yeah, Sanders went in the early part of, of the sixth round in, in last night's draft. And again, it's just one of those situations where he's just not someone that I'm approaching at that current ADP. I think that there's just too much. Looks like he's 25 or 26. So he's going basically at a running back two price. And I've done some drafts recently where he goes ahead of Philip Lindsay. That's ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, but 
yeah, I can see Sanders ahead of someone like Daryl Henderson, Darius Geis, maybe Lamar Miller, but that's basically the cutoff for me. Yeah, I'd, I'd, he's just not someone that I'm going to end up with shares with. I, I think I, I've just kind of made that realization. It's just a question that I'm not going to answer. Just if he doesn't get hurt, it doesn't go that way. Yeah, if Sanders doesn't get hurt again, which he has, he has been hurt a couple times. He had a hamstring back in minicamp, and he had some kind of brief foot thing a couple weeks ago or whatever. But if he stays healthy you're just going to keep hearing these same reports or like unless he starts having some insane fumbling issue in practice you're just going to keep hearing people say oh wow he looks sure he sure looks better than these other guys and all that they really can tell you for sure is like yeah he's faster than them and that's that's what we're impressed by when we don't know what's going on otherwise when it's not actually a competitive setting yeah with, with you know contact that's that's not nearly at at the you know intensity of uh, game level um, before we jump into a bit of tonight's preseason slate we got a message from our friends over at fantasy football evolution fantasy football evolution is back for 2019 and better than ever you spoke and we listened we've added mock drafting moved the championship final to nfl week 16 and made setting up a private competition in a snap Join us and play the game you love as it was meant to be played. FFE's unique three-stage format delivers the best of season-long fantasy football without the never-ending drafts or late-season absentee owner or waiver wire antics that can develop in traditional leagues. Play as an individual or be the commissioner of your own private league. You'll get 16 weeks of action for just $25. You could be the next FFE $25,000 champion. $25,000 champion. Maximize your chances by owning multiple teams. Optional auto draft and lineup assist can help you manage your your teams with ease. It's all here. What are you waiting for? Register now at fantasyfootballevolution.com and join the evolution. Availability varies by states visit fantasyfootballevolution.com for details all right mario so it's week two of the preseason so it won't be or it'll be a little bit more of a taste of of the starters tonight i know that the packers are going to be getting their starters into the mix for at least a quarter tonight i think the ravens are going to be doing the same uh, that kickoff at, at 7 30 eastern time tonight we got a couple other matchups with you know reasonably high implied over unders at least for for uh you know for preseason purposes we saw a lot we got two over 40 stuff yeah we got two over 40 one of them tonight between the jets and the falcons but what what is what are some of your kind of uh focal points for tonight i know that you're not the biggest preseason guy nobody nobody is but uh you some people are some people spend a lot of time like and i i understand why because they're they're not just uh they're not trying to figure out like who's the best uh who should who should i draft in best ball based on the preseason necessarily they're trying to do preseason dfs and i don't know i don't i just i don't have the time to do it um we talked about the falcons i think in the first preseason uh aligned show that we did right because that was like the only game though yeah broncos yeah yeah so um I don't know. I guess I guess we can run through some of the people on their roster and just kind of like describe them. I am kind of curious about Marcus Green for the uh, Falcons. He's that oh, receiver. Louisiana Monroe. Yeah, the Louisiana Monroe guy. I know. I think he's actually probably pretty decent, or at least he's he's got a good shot. Uh, he had a hamstring issue. He's been practicing since Monday, so maybe maybe he'll be able to play. I don't know. Um, he's he's one of the more interesting uh, Falcons. Uh, you know, second level prospects justin hardy didn't do anything the last time even though i assume he's kind of fighting for his roster spot so 
I don't know if someone like him would profile for more work here because it's like week three is when they usually do the dress rehearsal or whatever. Yeah, so yeah. if this is still an evaluation game for a guy on the roster fringe, especially like a veteran former draft pick like Hardy, if not today, I don't know when he's going to do anything. And it, it doesn't seem as if his roster spot is locked. So I don't know why they would uh you know just save him for the dress rehearsal or whatever yeah that that wouldn't make a ton of sense either so Zacchaeus had the big game last time right he did yeah yeah so I guess he he's on that radar for sure like that's that's someone Hardy needs to worry about by the way like I think Zacchaeus probably should be considered the better I mean at least today I think so oh yeah today definitely and I, I just think I don't know it's like Hardy's in his fourth or fifth year or something he's slow slot guy who can't really get on the field for them at least the K's can play special teams and stuff and exactly. little running back super even. versatile guy so he's kind of interesting uh for tonight I think um I think Dexter Williams from from Green Bay I mean oh yeah g- given just sort of the the injuries and um and you know risk aversion that the Packers will want to go with, with with the rest of their backfield I've, I feel like Dexter Williams is a really good has a really good chance to like pick up double digit carries at the very least uh, tonight. So I like him a fair bit. And then looking at Rotowire's optimizer just a little bit, uh, they like Dwayne Haskins, Darwin Thompson makes some sense, uh, Jacoby Myers. Maybe that's just lightning and trying to catch lightning in a bottle twice. I I, I probably will go away from him if I'm doing you know a. Uh, DFS preseason tournament tonight. I think everyone's going to be on him, so I'll go a different route. Miles Boykin is someone that, that was also worth considering. Stanley Morgan of the Bengals also uh, someone that that could be ticketed for a good amount of snaps tonight. Yeah, uh, I I guess you were looking at the the full weekend slate slate on that one. My uh, apologies if. I'm oh no, it's like I assume, I assume they have games like that. I mean, it's how you can uh, get more entries stuffed into it and raise the top prize figure. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah, Jags today. I'm trying to remember. Is Armstead healthy yet? I know he had the he had like a hamstring or something. But Armstead for the Jags. You'd think him and Alfred Blue got a fight for that backup spot, and they might want to have that determined before the dress rehearsal next week. Yeah, we we don't have any further. I mean, the the Jaguars. Oh, he's got a head board. injury. Yeah, Come on, so Armstead falling apart uh, over there. Wear your helmet next time. Off. So not great uh, for him. Maybe maybe that does, does Kevin Payne have an board. article written or something like that for uh, our preseason stuff? Because I feel uh, like I believe he Jim did Coventry lo- does. Oh, Jim Coventry. Okay. Cause yeah, it's like, I remember last time we, we kind of went through this tour like, yeah, we know who all these guys are, but uh, here we go. Yeah. Jim Co- Coventry has on the site, a uh, preseason week two picks article that I assume is free because it's sponsored. Um, apologies if I'm wrong about that, but he's mentioning quarterback, Brett Hundley, he got a lot of work the last week one out there for uh, for the Cardinals stepping in after Kyler Murray went out. Uh, Elijah McGuire, he names. Dexter Williams, like you mentioned. Arcega Whiteside, I will always uh, give the thumbs up for. And that's that's the guy, Jim named it receiver against the Jags. Miles Boykin was really busy his first game. Makes sense to go with him and Sherfield. Trent Sherfield for the Cardinals had a touchdown in, in the first game, and I had I, a huge smile on my face when he scored last week. I, I immediately thought of you. I was like, "Oh my god, oh, Trent yeah. Sherfield!" My, like somewhere, like Mario must be like really stoked. Yeah, I'm. I'm even s- if you weren't watching, like, right? I'm so you know. hostile to preseason that when I saw that, I was like, "Oh, I've, I was almost like, oh, I guess he sucks." Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's good. He, I, I saw that Cliff Kingsbury like gave him some praise and. Uh, it would be stupid if they cut him. Honestly, he's he's a totally decent prospect in my opinion. Like I think 
some of the bad picks that happen aren't justification for other bad picks but like he has to be better than a lot of receivers i've seen go in the third round or so uh didn't have volume at vanderbilt but he had a really good market share numbers and he really easily exceeded the baseline passing production in his offenses like they'd average trash like whatever 6.4 yards per pass at 55 percent completion and then he's doing like 65 catch rate at like nine and a half yards a target as the leading receiver stuff like that so and then he ran i think a four four uh eight or five or something like that at his pro day so respectable if not yeah and he was totally decent last year in an offense that was just insanely bad so uh yeah i believe in sherfield if he gets targets and snaps i would i would definitely like his odds of and getting in do the you end think zone that again. they'll risk uh putting andy isabella out there tonight i don't know that's a tough one because because if not then then sherfield yeah the arrow's up i think Keyshawn johnson same deal i guess sherfield and kevin white might be, be someone to keep in mind because it's like he is really fighting for a roster spot like him and pharaoh cooper i would imagine are immediately behind sherfield and kind of like the last receiver spot yeah and it looks like white might be already ruled out oh no okay don't play him then yeah so that play so, someone who's playing is one of my general bits of advice for you all. yeah so Sherfielder or or uh Keyshawn johnson guys to uh consider there but uh let's get over to to the nffc draft but before then uh we got a message from our friends over at auto new auto new fantasy football lets you build your fantasy football dynasty like a real gm it's better than it's better fantasy football auction based deep rosters and college player prospects stash the next rookie of the year while he's still tearing it up on saturdays trade for superstars to make a championship push develop a team over multiple years play against the best fantasy football competition on the internet visit ottoneu.com today visit ottoneu.com all right mario so let's get into uh the the last segment let's look at the body look yeah let's let's analyze this so i mean this i got bad juju on this from right away the the kentucky derby style uh pick selection uh for if you're a listener and you aren't aware of this, basically you are able to rank your preference of of pick order um, from from one to twelve. Uh, so you know, I kind of was inclined to to go with those top three picks as my top three preference, and then uh, the picks that would have come at the end of the round a little bit. Uh, cl- I wanted them as like my number four, number five, number six uh, type of preferences. I did not want any part of pick number four. So what happened? I got pick number four. Yeah, and uh, I think you made the right pick, and at the very least, you were going along with the recent markets, which have put David Johnson ahead of Ezekiel Elliott at that fourth spot. So uh, you went ahead with David Johnson, and particularly with, uh, in any case of PPR scoring, I think he's a super easily defended pick. Like I, in in just the raw projection sense, I think he's defendable as the first overall pick. Like I, you wouldn't do that because it's a uh, it's objectively more risky and he has the recent injury and he's closer to 30 than guys like McCaffrey and Barkley and Kamara all are. But I really think there's a chance that he's the third leading receiver on the team that runs the most plays in the league. Yes. So I felt, I felt good about that uh, overall. And then for, for my second pick, um, I really, really wanted Mike Evans, but I, I kind of conceded that that was a little bit of wishful wishful thinking but either way I, I kept hoping for it and then as the draft went as the draft went on so he gets picked I was hoping maybe Kelsey would fall to me and then I would kind of start to to recalibrate 
uh, from there. But Kelsey went right after Mike Evans. So at that point, I was in kind of a tough spot. I wasn't going to go with on Johnson because I just don't like him over Gurley. I don't like him quite that early. I like him a fair bit, but not not over Todd Gurley. So I went with Todd Gurley uh, with with my with the ninth overall pick in the second round. I considered Mahomes, but um, kind of hoped that maybe he would find his way back to me in the third round. He did not. Uh, the second to last pick in the second round ended up going with Mahomes. So at that point, I that's when I after the first two picks, I started to kind of lose my grip on, on what my strategy was going to be it kind of got uh things went out the window pretty early for me yeah just a general point if you haven't uh, the listeners if you haven't done an nffc draft and you're going to and you've otherwise been doing a lot of best ball drafts in the meantime know that quarterbacks will go later than they do in best ball but tight ends will especially surprise you with how late they go in nffc drafts uh for instance in this one like John mentioned, Kelsey falling to the middle of the second round is just out of the question, at least on draft best ball. I, don't, I guess I don't know what best ball tens are doing these days, but uh, you just don't see Kelsey fall out of the like the top 14, I would say. like I, I literally have not seen it happen Jeez. on draft. So he fell. OJ Howard in this one fell to the six, and uh, that never happens on draft. Very rarely will it happen on draft. You kind of proje- predicted that uh, off air yesterday when we were just kind of casually talking about this draft before I left the office. Yeah, that's because um, I took Howard, I think, in the late fourth in one of my teams, which I'm not really worried about. Like, if I had known he would go in the fifth, it's like, yeah, I wouldn't take him in the fourth then. Sure. But um, I think Howard's going to be really good, and I think that you know as much as as much as it's uh it's a different market with the nffc that doesn't mean that they have a good reason for drafting that way and it might be kind of an insularity thing where it's like the guys who draft who populate these adp numbers just don't really play on draft that much especially because it's like 350 a pop like you're not necessarily like unless you're kind of just rich maybe this is where you're putting all your energy and funds if you're getting involved with this kind of stuff so i think you can bank on and also not just kelsey falling to the middle of the second you got Ertz at almost the end of the third because it's the third round reversal um that also chirps me up i was not pleased oh you weren't expecting that probably I, I, yeah or i like forgot about it until it was happening it was like oh crap wait yeah yeah so um but in any case kittle was the second to last pick in the third round which also you'll you will very rarely see him get past i don't know the mid third on draft something like that but howard in the six is a screaming value and then the other one and i don't know why this is people on nffc hate vance mcdonald but uh i can't remember i had a I had a team earlier that i drafted <clears throat> where i picked kittle and i ended up taking vance mcdonald in like the ninth round even though i planned on just having kittle in the lineup and it's i i might have to have mcdonald on my bench a lot but it was like i can't let someone get him in the ninth round like he's i really think he's going to be better than guys like uh Njoku, Jared Cook, whatever, who go a couple rounds earlier. So yeah, if my advice basically is if based on what I've seen at least, wait on tight end until at least the sixth round because OJ How- Howard might fall to you there. And if he doesn't, worst case scenario, if you get a little spooked by uh the idea of waiting till the ninth for McDonald, you can get McDonald in the seventh. And uh that's something that usually doesn't happen on draft. He's usually like a late sixth early seventh at worst so yeah i would wait on tight end and another thing you'll see is a bunch of people only taking one quarterback in these relatively early drafts so that they can just hoard running backs like they don't even care who it is they just want 
running backs on their roster so that if someone gets hurt they don't have to spend fab on it and you can't spend fab on it yeah so uh, a lot of people take one quarterback so you can really wait on that position as much as someone as much as the six point per passing touchdown makes someone like Mahomes really useful and I, th- I think your pick Baker Mayfield in the sixth round too um, he's definitely a guy who I think has like 40 touchdown upside this year uh, that is a case for them but if you don't want to chase that kind of like touchdown upside a lot of other people are going to really be waiting on that position more than likely. Yeah, yeah. The the quarterback market really didn't de- start to fully develop. Uh, you know, the the Mayfield, Watson, Rogers tier is kind of one of its own, and you know, I feel like once one goes, that then the other two will, will go shortly thereafter, and that that's what happened last night. But otherwise, yeah, a lot of guys were, were waiting until the ninth, tenth, or even later. Like Lamar went in the thirteenth round here. Kyler Murray went in the tenth. Both of those are at least two rounds uh, later than they usually go in draft best ball. So circling back to the Ertz pick in, in the third, you know, not to belabor the point too much, but it was at a, it was at a stage where Diggs was off the board, uh, Thielen was off the board as well. Um, Damian Williams was in consideration a little bit, but at the same time, I had already drafted two running backs, so I wasn't really going after right. that. Would have been a nice value, but I mean. I would have wanted to address a different position. I'm a little bit creeped out by the Amari Cooper stuff, just with, with the, heel. the heel. And and, and so I'm never the Ertz guy. And I've probably been on this podcast saying that like, I don't have any Ertz shares or I'm not getting one of those tight ends early unless it's Kelsey. But it just, it just felt like Ertz made the most sense based on like a bad kind of set of um, of scenarios there. Yeah. As much as I don't have many Ertz shares either, a, he's a lot more easy to justify as as a pick in PPR scoring. Like I would expect him to sooner have four touchdowns this year than eight, but he has always gotten a ton of targets. And even if he regresses from last year, it's like I guess I should have had the number pulled up. But he was he was on an insane target rate last year. Yes, but he's also been on roughly like a ninety catch pace even the years preceding it. It was just he didn't have as much yardage and touchdowns, and he usually would miss a game or two. I believe he was playing 14 games a season usually. Yeah, the two before last year, he was in 14 games each, 74 catches in one, 78 in the other. Um, I guess I got to kind of retract the touchdown point. He has two years in a row with eight touchdowns. So so yeah, maybe more like six is kind of his floor than than four, which was what it was more like his his first four years in the league. Um, But yeah, it's like if the stuff about Ertz being this huge trap i see that as as true in standard scoring and in the second round probably otherwise in half point ppr and even in ppr it's a bit of a trap perhaps but in the late third round it's like he's worth that probably even if he's the 2017 Ertz. so if he was getting 100 if you were assuming he would get 116 catches again this year he'd be worth probably like the 10th pick so uh, I think I think as much as like the, it's people have reasonably pointed out a regression risk with him. I don't think it's really pertinent details as late as you got him and in this kind of scoring system. Yep. So uh, overall, again, like it's not something that I that I sought out to do coming into this draft, but um, given what was available around me and what I already had on my roster, I thought Ertz w- was the way to go. Um, so you know, addressing receiver, I've I've gone on and saying that I really love that 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 tier of receivers that goes from the fourth to the sixth round, yeah. namely Chris Godwin and Tyler Boyd. I have Boyd, I think in maybe every league that I've done so far. So I was happy to get him again. I know having Godwin and Boyd as, as your wide receivers one and two might not be optimal, but PPR, I, I, I bet like it's going it. to be fine. I, I've seen some people 
mean, having reasonable apprehension about Chris Godwin as high as he goes, but I don't think he's, uh, I don't think even he's at like the higher range of his price right now. I think it would be easy to justify him as being right after uh, guys like whatever Thielen, I guess. I don't, I don't know where these, these guys went in the order for Thielen was early third. Okay. Yeah. So Godwin, like I, it, it depends on what you project for Jameis Winston and what you expect out of this new Arians offense. If you don't believe in Jameis Winston, which is totally reasonable, then yeah, then it's fair to worry about Chris Godwin. But it seems like most people seem to think this Tampa Bay offense is going places, if only because of Arians, if nothing else. And if Winston throws for over 4,000 yards, I think Godwin has a really good chance at 100 catches for 1,300 or even 1,400 yards because we don't expect much out of that running game. That division should be high scoring and relatively up tempo uh, compared to the norm. Uh, you know, two do- dome teams helps, and then it's you know warmer weather. Uh, aside from that, and again, their running game probably close to a zero or at least well below average. And the defense is bad, so they should be in catch-up scripts pretty regularly, or at least in an urgent game script, even if they're not even losing, because they're just going to know like our defense can't be counted on. So if that offense goes someplace, Godwin's upside is huge, in my opinion, because even with Evans there, even with Howard, it's like those the top three in an offense that throws for something like 4,500 yards and then doesn't run very well, it's like those guys should all have quite a bit of upside in their various scenarios. And meanwhile, Brashad Perriman, Justin Watson, they can't play inside and outside like Godwin. So I don't I think they'll steal literally zero snaps from him. It's right. like, it'll just be when he needs a breather or if he's hurt that they're on the field. So I think the fourth target in that offense, it could just as easily be like Cameron Brait as Brashad Perriman. And no matter who it is, I think their cap is about 600 yards. So I more so would expect something like 90 catches, 1,200 yards from Godwin this year, but I absolutely expect that from him. Okay, awesome. All right, that makes me feel a lot better. So overall, I felt good about my first six picks. Again, is uh, Johnson, Gurley, Ertz, Godwin, Boyd, uh, Mayfield. After that is where things started to get hairy. Um, I just I wasn't sure which direction I wanted to go in. The, the running back market started to, to dry up, um, but I wanted to continue to go after receiver. I really wanted Curtis Samuel, but I thought that he would be able to come back to me uh, with the fourth pick in the eighth round. But I, So I went ahead, grabbed Sammy Watkins in the seventh round, uh, and that was after Penny and Eckler, the two guys that I had, I had circled as being my, my flex guys. Um, I really wanted them in the seventh. Both of them went just, just right before me. So I only had a little bit of time to kind of recalibrate what I wanted to do. Didn't want to get Darrell Henderson that early, um, even though he, he would be a, a sensible handcuff to, to Todd Gurley. Um, but I went with Watkins, didn't feel great about it. And then I backed him up uh, with Latavius Murray, Jordan Howard, just kind of chasing some, you know, some touchdown upside potentially. But uh, either way, I felt okay about it. But I've, I felt like it was suboptimal based on what I kind of wanted to do. I guess I might have taken instead of Murray, I might have taken Pettis. But otherwise, yeah, I don't know what you could have done really there because you had to choose between basically Watkins or Samuel. The other, I guess Watkins might have made it around, but it's like I have Watkins ahead of Shepard, way ahead of Kuti, way ahead of Geronimo Allison, and those three guys also went before your next pick came up. So, yeah, Pettis I probably would have taken, but the thing is, I again, the disclaimer, I'm higher on Godwin and probably Boyd, 
and definitely Watkins than most people. But I would actually be okay with those three as my lead receivers, especially since you got Golden Tate a couple rounds later. And I know he's suspended four games, but I really think that in the 12 games he's active, he might be a top 30 receiver in PPR. Like, I think as soon as he's back, he hits the ground running. Like, I don't think he's going to as long as he's in the slot which i don't know why they would have ever pursued him unless they were prepared to just designate him in that part of the field Shepard should play outside and a tate still might be pretty good like i know he he burned out with the eagles but that's kind of a difficult task to get a guy implemented into an offense mid-season and a scheme he doesn't know and a scheme that has otherwise worked a very particular way for years and then trying to just introduce this new guy who basically plays a different position than everybody else who's been there the whole time it didn't they couldn't find a rhythm they should have a rhythm in this case because he's been practicing with the team and whatever they signed him for a decent chunk of change so it'd be weird if they didn't plan to use him and if he's on the field and if he's running in the slot that's the part of the field that Eli Manning throws to more easily than he does outside and further down the field which is where Shepard would be running so I actually I really think that even though he's got a max of 12 games this year I would not be surprised at all if Tate finishes with something like 75 receptions so do I should I feel bad that I got sniped on Emmanuel Sanders right before that I have Tate way ahead of Sanders, okay, even with me, even with the suspension. Me, all right, that makes me feel a lot better because the, the Sanders hype, and you know, that's kind of been a, a common theme throughout today's show, is is listening to beat reporters and and their little reports based on on things. But you know, obviously, with, with Sanders coming off the Achilles, he's you know kind of smashed every uh, milestone you could have along that recovery. So it sounds like the arrow is trending up for him, but. You know that we're we're talking about volume receivers for Joe Flacco or Eli Manning slash Daniel Jones, so it's not sexy either way. But PPR obviously helps. I will say I think I would have taken Jamison Crowder ahead of Tate. Yep, and that 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 hurt. That but hurt. Um, I realized that. I mean, it might. I mean, it might not because the main risk with receivers like yours is that it's not easy to guess each week who has the good games. It's like you know, like yeah, these guys will probably finish with healthy enough averages for the rest of the team to work right if i'm if i'm playing them the right time but yeah if you have if you have jameson crowder as your wide receiver four there's a good chance you're not playing him because there's a good chance that latavius murray is in the flex spot instead of him and at least with tate it's like you know who your top three receivers are for the first four weeks yeah exactly so so at least i kick the can down the road a little bit on that uh, and i like kenny stills in uh, two rounds later thank you uh what did you what do you make of adrian peterson because the guy stuff never sounds great either so i feel like that's just kind of it's it's insurance more than anything else yeah but it's I don't think that it's a bad pick, especially at that at that spot where you know guys like uh, McCoy and Singletary actually went in that same exact round. So two owners kind of uh, planting their flags with different camps there within that same backfield. Peterson, I feel like it it's ugly, but he's going to get work. Yeah, it it is ugly, but it was ugly last year, and he was legitimately effective. Obviously, there will just come a day within the next couple of years where he's just completely toast. That could be here already, but it should have been here a couple of years ago. And it's like, I don't know how you can call the guy toast until he actually is, especially since last year he was breaking tons of tackles. It wasn't like he was just kind of, you know, doing 36-year-old Emmett Smith stuff. It was like he was actually breaking a lot of tackles and, and running for yardage that wasn't easy. So I don't know what to make of guys. I don't know what to make of that stupid team in general other than that like Dan Snyder is from hell and he's he's here to 
like basically destroy the world and uh, the football team that he incidentally owns so you have to keep that in mind with with these guys but in the uh 12th is this yeah late uh, late, tw- late late 11th round um yeah like the next running back taken was tony pollard who there's various cases to make for him especially when if you have certain roster constructions already like if, if he's a running back five or six and you're set everywhere else like yeah why not shoot for the moon in that case but i also think his floor is very low especially this year so i'm not the type to really chase him if i had taken another running back instead of peterson um there's also darwin thompson damian harris jamal williams madison all going in that same yeah i might have honestly like i probably have a higher projection for jalen richard who you got a couple rounds later anyway so uh peterson he's got obviously much better rushing potential than a lot of the guys in that range um but yeah i think richard a couple rounds later should be a totally sufficient like emergency flex guy for you even if peterson burns out okay all right so i mean overall it, it's definitely not the team that that i like wanted or, or sought out to to get going in but i think the way the chips fell and and the way i approached it on, on a pick by pick basis I, I didn't hate any of my one picks in particular i just i don't think that this is a league winner necessarily but i think it i think it could be or it should be competitive in the end yeah you'll have to make some good calls with the the fab pickups hopefully if some running back gets hurt the guys that are picked in this draft aren't uh the replacement and you get a shot at something like that i don't know um but yeah i'm really high on baker mayfield again i i think he's a really good candidate to throw 40 touchdowns this year I'm really high on david johnson jalen richard i think is a is a perfect ppr uh, flex backup plan and uh yeah the receivers i like so if sammy Watkins can stay healthy and if Gurley stays healthy i think there would be quite a bit going right there so uh yeah i guess like anybody else in the league if you have good luck with your your health and the the rest might kind of fit together pretty well all right so fingers crossed on that uh that's gonna wrap things up for today's show from mario puig i'm john mckechnie thanks for listening to the rotowire nfl podcast brought to you by yahoo daily fantasy sports uh we'll be back again with another episode tomorrow and then mario and i will be back again next thursday thanks for listening everybody Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.